Hello, and welcome to Blue Lightning Healing Meditations. I'm Susie Parker Goins. I am a channel, energy healer, past life explorer, teacher, guide. My links are in the description box for podcasts and financial support, contact information. And please comment, like, subscribe, favorite, share it with your friends. I upload typically on Mondays and Thursdays, and the best way to get a hold of me is through email at suzypgoins at gmail.com. I am so grateful for all the support. So one of the things I have come to truly enjoy about what I do is exploring past lives. To think we have only a single life in which to learn, love, live, or to do all the things, it doesn't make sense to me. The singular argument I have for people who think we only get one life is to ask, how do you see God? Do you believe God is limitless? So true, while I've never actually had this conversation with anyone, believe me, it's all well laid out in my head. So here's my thinking. <laughs> if someone believes that God is all knowing, all seeing, all whatever. Why are there versions of God that seem so limited? If God had dictated that love was supposed to be between just one man and one woman and one man and one woman only, how limited is that? Or, or what if, what about those that say you have to read only one particular book or go to a church in a particular building. And all of this stuff is, is made by humans, but you can only do it that way to level up, to go to heaven. How limited is that? And for those who think that you have to look a particular way to gain entrance into this divine consciousness, how limited, narrow-minded, and, well, superficial can you be? I, I get it. I mean, I grew up Catholic. I was baptized, confirmed. I went to parochial school all the way through high school. I even continued to go to church through sophomore year in college. So I understand that organized religion religion can provide a foundation for living. But I don't see how using, using a book can be, that can be so twisted and edited to suit somebody's ego, I don't see where that is in alignment with divine. So when I finally left the church in so, as a sophomore in college, I spent about two years as an atheist. I didn't believe in anything. It was just that. And it was so lonely. I used to have conversations with God all the time, and I didn't. And then, you know, going from one end of the, the, the swing of the pendulum, you know, being a Catholic girl, to the other end of it, being atheist, I finally settled in on the middle. And I could call myself an agnostic. And for me, that means believing in something greater than myself, but not really having a name for it. And that's what helped me start on another kind of spiritual journey. I learned to read Tarot. I discovered Edgar Cayce. I read about Jane Roberts and the Seth materials. 
I subscribed to feminine spirituality magazines. I played with paganism. I read books on all kinds of spirituality, the Tao of, what is it, the Tao Te Ching and uh, the Tao of Pooh and the Tay of Piglet. I think those are the names. I, you know, I read about ESP and all kinds of psychic phenomena. At the time, it was a guilty pleasure for me because I grew up in a church that would have condemned it. And I look back and see that that was the start of me breaking away from the confinements of an organized religion. I felt like my own person, like a grown-up, because I was taking control of my spirituality. Also, I also found out that divine doesn't need to be limited in any way. Divine, or the universe, is far more expansive than what any human mortal, human mortal mind can conceive. So yeah, I call myself a Wynotian. Why not tarot cards to provide some sort of external focus for me to gain insight into an issue? Why not talk to ascended masters, discarnate avatars, or spiritual healers? Why not heal through focused intention, prayer, directed energy? Why not? And, and all of this leads up to why not live multiple lives, examining the lessons in each lifetime, and then healing. So reincarnation accepts that divine is expansive, and it is not, and it's so expansive as to not limit ourselves to one life. How can we, as humans, learn all we are set up to learn in a single lifetime. So back in the 90s was a guy named Daniel Brinkley, and he wrote a book about his near-death experiences. At the same time, a woman named Betty J. Eady wrote a book about her near-death experience. Now, the major difference between these two was that Ms. Eady believed we lived just one lifetime, and Mr. Brinkley believed we lived multiple lifetimes. So, of course, I was intrigued to look further. <laughs> so... This is the result of some of my research that I've done, and I'm going to list off some easy, do-it-yourself ways to explore past lives today. And then Monday will be a meditation to walk you through a simple look at a past life. And then next Thursday, I'll dive deeper into how past life resolution can lead to current life changes. And then that following Monday will be a more in-depth meditation that will ask deeper questions about a past life. Let me know what you think. Email me with your thoughts. Thanks. All right. Easy ways to, to identify past lives. Again, these techniques are for immediate gratification and results. Something to pique your interest. All right. So number one, look at your current likes, dislikes, or fears in this lifetime. Do you have any unexplained or really strong reactions to things or anyone? Could come from a past life. For example, I was called in to do jury duty uh, in Dallas a long time ago. And apparently I did not have my game face on. I was called to the bench for more questions. And the defense attorney stated that he thought I didn't like him. And I didn't. I was so surprised at how intensely I disliked him. 
I don't know why. And I, I said, I, I really don't understand why I don't. Yeah, maybe it's a past life thing. And honestly, I haven't looked deeper at that one, but it's very likely. Another thing is that I absolutely adore Renoir, his paintings. Uh, there was, um, there was an art exhibit called the Barnes exhibit and it was in Fort Worth years ago. And this was a couple who had just collected art that they liked. And it turned out they had a whole lot of early impressionist paintings. Well, one of the pieces was, was by Renoir. It was his family, his wife, children, her cousin. As I stood in front of it, I felt this incredible pull at my heart. It was as if I had been there. In fact, I knew I had been there. And then another time I was talking to a friend of mine who was a channel. She had a print of the couple dancing in the shade. And she had commented about how that gentleman looked with such love at the woman. I popped off, oh, he looked at all us models that way. How could I have known that? I, uh, up until then, I had never really been exposed to Renoir's work. Up until the Barnes exhibit, I just know that I love his work as soon as I saw it. I've done past life regressions, and in one, I was a woman in France in the 1800s, more like a girl in the 1800s, and her name was Elise, and I saw her hand. It was lovely. It was young, and she was sitting on the grass in a sort of picnic situation. And as I researched Renoir's life, his model slash mistress slash wife was named Elise, why not? Okay, so number two, look at the connections you have with other people. See, I believe we travel in soul families. We orbit each other through lifetimes. We agree to examine aspects of a concept in each lifetime. Some say sure, some say no, so we kind of travel in and out of each other's lives. Say we, we decide to look at the concept of love. And one time we'll be lovers, another time we can be a parent and child, and yet another time siblings or some other time we can explore the absolute absence of love. So that leads me to ask, have you ever met someone with whom you have felt an immediate connection? You feel like you've known them all your life? Well, they could be a soul family. And cool. Number three is deja vu. Deja vu is where you have felt like you have been somewhere before, kind of like with people, you know. Um, there are stories of children who, as soon as they can speak, talk about their other family. Uh, many cases, they've taken a child to this place they say they lived before, and the kid can find his way his or her way around with no problems. They even identify people there. Uh, there was next, um, oh, the Dalai Lama. He's chosen as a child based on past life memories. They will identify children who could be the Dalai Lama and then officials come through and they lay out toys 
some of which have actually belonged to previous incarnations of the Dalai Lama. And the child is asked to pick a toy that they're drawn to. And if they pick one of the previous incarnations toys, then we've got the leader of the Tibetan spiritual community right there. But it's not limited to children. There was a, a book that really caused everything to bust wide open. It's called The Search for Bridie Murphy. It was published in 1959, and it was about this woman from Colorado who had, under regression, remembered a past life in Ireland in the early 1800s. Now, a lot of the details were debunked, but it did spark the interest and open up the conversation. There's another one I've read. It's called Initiation by Elizabeth H. H-A-I-C-H, I don't know. But it details the story of her as a European teacher who had lucid memories of her lifetime in, in Egypt. Um, if you want to look further into more of the documented regressions and, and processes, I recommend Michael Newton, PhD. He's done books about uh, the life, the time between lives. And then there's Brian L. Weiss, who is an MD who used hypnosis and discovered uh, past lifetimes from his patients. It was completely unexpected, but he has a lot of his processes and case studies relating to past life regressions in his books. Okay, number four. <sighs> Another tip off, maybe you have skills that you haven't a clue where you learned them or how they came to you so easily. Do you have an affinity for music, uh, for painting, for fiber crafting, for, for are you really good at, say, gardening or whatever? These could be skills that have been brought forward from previous lives. Number five is that dreams can be a gateway to discerning some past life information because they give you access to your sub and unconscious minds. Set your intention to remember your dreams before you go to sleep each night. And then in the morning, write down what you remember. Or in my case, I use my phone audio recorder because I cannot read what I write in the morning before I'm awake. But you can even use daydreams to lead you into some insight. You know, check out for a little bit and pay attention to where your mind goes. See if you can find something. Number six. I used to use encyclopedias and costume history books, any kind of collection of historical references to give me nudges about stuff, you know. Oh, I loved that dress. Those dresses were so beautiful, or that chair was so uncomfortable. Not that anybody uses encyclopedias anymore, so do a search. <laughs> uh, number seven, look at sensory responses to sensory input, like aromas or tastes, sounds. Um, it goes beyond, oh, cookies make me think of my grandma. There could be some other input you can get. Number eight, yeah, we're on eight. Do you have any birthmarks or unexplained um, spots or anomalies on your skin or scars? Um, birthmarks, yeah, that's pretty you can look at the birthmark. Sometimes the shape and the location can be a tip-off. A scar or a dry patch um, can also be a tip-off. Look at it. I had a client. I have a client who had a dry patch on their scalp, and they were looking. We were looking at ways to resolve it, 
and in the course of the session, I discerned that it was the result of a gunshot wound. And as we went further into that lifetime, we figured out that her partner, who was in the session with them, had been the one who had pulled the trigger. Yes, the partner was devastated to know that, but we were able to do that deep work and release that lifetime and understand that it was part of that play around power and control. So I, I want to give you a couple of caveats about looking into past lives. Not everyone, number one, not everyone can be Joan of Arc or Napoleon or Kathleen the Great or, or Janice Joplin or you know, Winston Churchill, and there are far more, you know, proportionately there are a lot more common people than there are celebrities or historical figures. And also, not every lifetime is all wine and roses and unicorns and, and sunshine and stuff. The lifetimes that have left some sort of psychic imprint on you or, or leaves you with traumatic scars, they're not going to be pretty. Now, true, sometimes you're a hero, and other times you're a villain. Because that's how a soul experiences aspects of existence. <sighs> so, yeah, I think that's good. That's good for today. <laughs> a reminder that Monday's going to be kind of a lightweight med regression meditation. Thursday, next Thursday, we'll go deeper, and then the following Monday, we'll go in deeper to actually dig into a lifetime and look at lessons that were learned and that you can carry forward. So until next time, blessings. <laughs>